Amen. The Lord is good all the time. All the time he is good. Uh, I'm going to let you be seated tonight. I'm going to read some scriptures to get started. Um, I'm going to turn your attention to Acts chapter 5 um, tonight. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, it has been one crazy week. Uh, I wish I could tell you all about it, but uh, I, I, uh, uh, you, you would not believe, Amen. And and I can't, I can't even tell you some of the things uh, that we have faced at our school just the last uh, couple of days with just craziness and chaos. Uh, but the enemy, the enemy is at work. The enemy is at work. Uh, probably had something to do with CBS putting out a big advertisement that uh, the world was going to gather together and worship the devil Sunday night with the Grammys. And uh, I think that set a spirit loose or something because we have had all kind of chaos uh, this week. But the Lord is good. He's good. Amen. Um, so tonight I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 5 and... Uh, I'm going to kind of go into what I'm going to uh, talk about and uh, give you my subject tonight. But uh, Acts chapter 5, verse number uh, 12 is uh, where I want to start. Read a couple of verses of Scripture, and I uh, hope I can help us tonight. I hope this will uh, land in our spirits and register tonight. Uh, you give somebody two weeks to get uh, something put together and uh, I've got way more than I can finish tonight, so we'll just find a stopping point somewhere and uh, go on. Um, but uh, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me, and uh, if you'll help me tonight, uh, I know our Wednesday night is a little more laid back, but uh, if you'll help me tonight, I believe the Lord will say something to us in this house. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were wrought many signs and wonders, among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and there were added unto them multitudes, both of men and women. This is a portrait of the early church. And I don't want to get too far ahead of my lesson tonight, but allow me to begin by saying anything less is not the will of God. Does anybody believe that with me tonight? We are not living in the days of less. We are not the stepbrother to this church, but through the Holy Ghost and the new birth experience, we should be operating in the same anointing that empowered the hands of the apostles. I was so moved Sunday before last as pastor preached passionately and under such a deep anointing and unction from God that there must be something that separates us from the rest of the religious world. There's got to be something different. 
There's got to be something empowering, something tangible, something that will take us through the storms and the trials and the tests. We should, as the church of the living God, be different. We should stand above. Why? Because we've got more than just a three-point sermon. We've got more than good programs. We've got more than good methods. We've got something that separates us. And this is what it is. It's an anointing. Specifically, it's an Isaiah 10, 27 anointing. And it said, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Every translation outside of King James uses the word broken in place of destroyed. And it may just be semantics to some, but I don't want tonight just a breaking anointing. I want tonight a destroying anointing. I want, Brother Gage, for that yoke to never have hope of a recovery, that it can find its way back around my neck and back shackled down to things. What are you saying to us tonight? I'm preaching to this church. I want to be a part of the church. This church where signs and miracles and wonders, where people are being added, not just a church. You can find one of those on nearly every street corner, but I want to be in fellowship with the church, the church where miracles still take place, the church where people come in and they still think we're a bit crazy. Not too much, but a little bit. The church that puts Jesus first and everything else will take care of itself. I wonder on a Wednesday night, does anybody still believe in that kind of church? That's the kind of church that he paid a price for. And I believe tonight that we are standing on the doorstep of great revival and even further a great harvest. It's already happening. It's already begun. And if you are spiritually aware tonight, you know this. But we are nowhere close to what God has planned for this local church. Amen. I, I, I know that I must sound like a broken record with that because I say that every time, but I believe that with all of my heart. God has not been assembling, and God has not been moving, and God has not been positioning and anointing for haphazard reasons. He's got us placed right where he wants us to be. So tonight, I want to talk about how we get there. And my subject tonight is the first obstacle of revival. Overcoming the first obstacle of revival. If we truly want this, there's something that the early church faced right in its infancy that we want to talk about tonight. Allow me to share a story to set a foundation tonight. There is an old fable that comes out of the Far East. It's about an aging emperor. And in this fable or parable, if you will, the emperor is 
getting older and it is coming time for him to choose a successor. And there are protocols and there are procedures for this transition, but this emperor decides to break from them and do something different. So instead of choosing one of his assistants or one of his own children, as was the custom, he breaks with the norm and he sends out a decree and asks for all the young people of the kingdom to come to the palace courtyard. So they get there and they get gathered together. All the young people from uh, the, the country are there and the emperor steps out and he addresses the group and he lets them know that it's time for him to step down and it's time for a new emperor to be chosen. And while telling them this, he spoke words that nobody was expecting because he let it be known to them that he had decided to choose from the group that he had called and assembled together. The kids were shocked. The assistants were shocked. Everyone was shocked. The parents, the village, all shocked, filled with excitement and also some disbelief. Who could it be? Who was going to be chosen? Who was going to ascend to the throne? Whose life was about to change? What possibilities? What potential? What promise? Can you imagine just being one of the village children and all of a sudden you've just heard the words, a new emperor is about to be chosen and you've got a shot. Life-changing. Everyone was on edge wondering could I be him? Could I be the one? And the emperor continued and silenced the crowd with his next statement. And as everyone listened intently, he informed them of his selection process. And this is what it was going to be. He said, I'm going to give each of you a seed today, one very special seed. And I want you to go home and I want you to plant the seed. I want you to water it. I want you to tend it. I want you to care for it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to care for that seed, and I want you to return back here one year from today with what you've grown from this one seed. He said, then I'm going to look at what you bring back. I'm going to judge what you bring to me, and I will choose one of you based on what you bring to be the next emperor of the kingdom. All the children in attendance there were excited about it. There was one particular boy there. His name was Ling. He was excited like all the rest. He got his seed. He went home filled with excitement, told his mom what the emperor had said. Got a chance to change our life. So mom does what moms do. She helps him get a pot. She helps him find planting soil, and they go to work planted the seed. He watered it carefully. Every day he would come in. He would visit his little pot. And though it was planted and he couldn't see it, he knew that it was there. And he would water it and he would watch it, always returning the next time, hoping and expecting to find growth. After about three weeks, some of the other kids began to talk about their seeds and the plants that were beginning to grow. Hearing the stories made Ling a little bit anxious, and he kept going home every day checking his seed, but he 
had a problem. Nothing was growing in his little seed pot. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks went by. Everybody's bragging. Ling has nothing. By now, the other kids are talking. Ling didn't even have a plant. He had a dirt pot. He felt like a failure. He couldn't understand. He had done everything he knew to do. He had taken the seed. He had watered it. He had tended to it. Mom had helped him. He had been very careful. Six months went by, still nothing in the pot. And he just knew, Ling knew, defeated. I've killed my seed. Everyone else has trees, tall plants. I have nothing. Embarrassed, discouraged. He didn't talk about this plant to friends. While they were bragging, he was quiet. But he just kept believing and waiting for a seed to grow. Finally, the day came. The year came to an end. It was time to return to the palace and give the emperor back the seed that he had trusted them with. <clears throat> All the youth of the kingdom, pretty excited. They got their plants ready. They carried them in boldly to be inspected by the emperor, but Ling, nothing. Told his mom, I ain't going. Not going. I can't take an empty pot. I can't go with nothing. I can't stand before him with nothing to give. But mom encouraged him, like moms do, to go. Take what you've got, son. Take your pot, and you just be honest about what happened. Not feeling too well about it. He knew his mom was right, so he took his empty pot to the palace. When he got there and walked in, pretty amazed. All these different plants that were growing in these different pots that all the other kids had brought in, they were all beautiful, different shapes, different sizes. Pretty awesome to see. And Lean kind of hung around to the back, stuck his empty pot on the floor. When the kids saw what he brought in, some of them started laughing. A few others felt sorry for him, started already offering him condolences. Hey, nice try, man. Don't worry about it. Maybe he won't kill you. Don't worry when I get emperor in just a few minutes. You'll be the first one I pardon. It's okay, bud. It'll be all right. Then the room got awfully quiet as the emperor entered, and he started looking around at all that was brought, the plants that were brought back, greeting all the young people. And Ling did what we would do. He just tried to find somewhere to hide, just get out of the way, just get out of sight. The emperor walks in, my, what great plants, trees, flowers you all have grown. Today, one of you are going to be the next emperor. And all of a sudden, in all of the fanfare, the emperor sees Ling and his empty pot standing at the back of the room. He ordered his guards, bring him up here. Bring that kid right back there, up here. Ling was terrified. You know, I expect, got my empty pot. Oh, goodness, emperor knows I'm a failure. 
and with his mind flooded with all that the emperor could do to him, he heard these words. Hey, buddy, what's your name? He told the emperor, my name is Ling. All the kids are laughing. Cat calls coming out from the back row from the cheap seats. Everybody's picking on Ling, making fun of him. And the emperor said, silence. And he looked at Ling and boldly told the crowd, Behold your new emperor. His name is Ling. This can't be. This isn't what was supposed to happen. The emperor let everybody in on his plan then, and this is what he told them. One year ago today, I gave everyone here a seed. I told you to take that seed and plant that seed and water that seed and bring that seed back to me today. And what you did not know is that I gave you all boiled seeds. I gave you seeds that had no potential to grow. I gave you seeds that would not produce. Yet all of you, except Ling, have brought me trees and plants and flowers. When you found out that the seed I gave you wouldn't grow, you substituted another seed for the one I gave you. But Ling was the only one with the courage and the honesty to bring me a pot with my seed in it. Therefore, he is the new emperor. In this ancient fable, we learn a valuable lesson. Ling was the only one who thought his integrity was more valuable than selling out for a position or for fame or for anything else that it might benefit him to do. And while everybody else was hiding their character behind plants and trees and divisive works, there was only one willing to stand vulnerable in truth. Brother Hodge, why use that story to make your point tonight? Because I want you to know even the pagans understand without integrity, we have nothing. If we're not willing to be real about who we are and to stand in the truth of what God has given us and called us, then we are absolutely worthless. And I've come tonight to challenge us that if we are going to be the life-changing force that the church was birthed to be, we must be willing to stand vulnerable in truth on the merits of what God has said we are. We must be a people who have integrity. We must be a people that this world can look to and see there's an example of somebody who knows how to follow his plan and get it right. 
And I submit to you tonight that we need a revival of apostolic integrity in the church. We can't hide behind fancy sermons. We can't hide behind well-rehearsed music programs. We can't hide behind properly planned programs. But we must be willing to stand on the merit of the work of the Holy Ghost first in our own lives and then in the lives of everybody else that will hear our message. God needs a people that will stand out from this world. He needs a people that will be a witness of better. He needs a people that will be ambassadors of greater and examples of his goodness. That's what I want to be tonight. God's looking for a church that he can call his bride. He's looking for a church and a people to represent his name. It's still a people that's supposed to be holy and peculiar and still desire God in all of this modern day craziness. So I echo again how I began. This is not the hour for less. But this is the hour for the church, the glorious, triumphant church. I could preach a little while tonight on the power of the church. I don't know about you tonight, but I'm glad I'm a part of the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know where I would be today if I hadn't found refuge and an anchor and something that kept me grounded through every storm and every trial. And it was the church that did that. From the beginning of Acts, we see the building of the church. We watch the maturation of God's people. We witness the process of them becoming the force that the Scripture said would turn the world upside down. Allow me to step back and chronicle the church to this point. Chapter 1, modeled for us an obedient church. One that could receive instruction and apply it and adhere to it. They were sold out to a cause, and that cause was Jesus Christ. To this early group, this Acts chapter 1 group, his words meant everything to them. They cherished them. They even answered him one time when he asked, will you go away also? They said, Lord, you're the only ones that have. The words of eternal life. They hung on his words. They cherished them. They honored them by living them. I'm telling you tonight, everything hinges on and begins with obedience in the kingdom of God. Everything begins with, hinges on obedience in the kingdom of God. Before Pentecost, that's in the next chapter, before the Holy Ghost empowerment, Jesus stood at Bethany looking at a crowd. It wasn't a church yet. Anybody can wind up in a crowd. 
Anybody that just gets called together can wind up in a crowd. But to be a part of a church, you got to go a little beyond just the call. You got to make it into those that are the chosen. 500 plus people stood there that day at Bethany and heard the call go tarry in the upper room till you be endued with power from on high. But out of that 500 plus that heard the call, only about 120 were obedient. And while that 120 were being obedient and tarrying and doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, we transition and turn the page to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we see this obedient group blessed with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They became empowered with the promise because of their faithfulness and their obedience. Telling you tonight, we will never have power while out of harmony with God's Word. It cannot happen. Your power is predicated upon your submission to His will, and you will never live an over coming life until you first live a coming under life. And that's our problem. Because in our flesh, we like the overcoming. That's the easy part. That's the good part. Right? But we ain't all the time too fond of that coming under. But if you're ever going to have the power of Acts 2, you've got to obey Acts 1. Because obedience always places you in the right position for God's favor to fall upon you. So we move to chapter 3, and we see in chapter 3 that God takes this group, and he continues to strengthen the church, and we see a group of empowered misfits. That's about really what they were. Aren't you thankful that's who God still uses? Amen. We see them start gaining a following. Why? Because their obedience brought them a power and an anointing, and God started backing them up. And credibility was established in them as they allowed the Holy Ghost to operate through them to minister to the needs of the people that they were encountering. God backed up their faith with a demonstration of his power. Now they're not just some spooky, weird, fanatic group of lunatics talking about a dead man. Now they're a force that cannot be denied nor explained. Hear me tonight, CLC. Critics are always silenced by credibility. And some of us profess a power that we haven't proven yet. And to the outsider, when they see that, there's no credibility in what we say. I've come tonight to encourage you, before you give in to a critic, be assured. 
If you came through chapter 2, you've been obedient and you have been empowered. And now all you need is a situation to arise to prove it. Peter and John's encounter in the upper room didn't change their bank account. It didn't change their social status. Nothing miraculous took place on that level when they had their experience in the upper room. But their encounter at the gate, beautiful, caused everybody to sit up and take notice. See, some of us would be amazed at what God would back us up on. I'm putting me in it too tonight. Some of us would be shocked and amazed at what God would literally love to back us up on to show himself credible. You ought to try him sometime. You ought to speak to your mouth. You ought to speak to your problem. You ought to speak to your sickness. You ought to speak to your circumstance. You ought to speak to it and see what God will do. Because if you have power, God is waiting to prove you credible. Why? Because that advances his kingdom. Had a crazy situation. I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Had a crazy situation. End of the day, yesterday, had a sweet little girl absolutely go crazy, threw everything across the room, was throwing grown men around like they were nothing. Absolutely. I looked in and saw a devil. And our assistant principal was in there getting tossed around like a rag doll. They brought a big copy, and he was getting tossed around like a rag doll. And this is what they said, and this is not bragging on me, but the assistant said, where's the preacher? Where is he at? I was out on the field with some kids at PE. They come running out. They need you. And I walked in, and that crazy devil started trying to talk to me. I said, shut your mouth, devil. It wasn't that little girl. It was a devil. Listen, I, I'm telling you, I started off, told you what CBS announced. I don't know what the Grammys did, but we had literal chaos. We counseled three kids for suicide Monday, a second grader, a seventh grader, and an eighth grader. And, and it's just crazy. It's chaos that's in this world today. And God's waiting on a people to step forward that's got some power so he can back you up and show himself mighty and show himself strong that I do have a remnant that still walks this planet. Come on, this thing doesn't belong to the enemy. This thing, the, 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 the world, the earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him tonight. God will back you up. I promise you he will back you up. But you've got to have the courage that you've been through chapter 2 and you've been empowered and you've been anointed. And now when the problem comes, don't go to the back of the room. Step to the front and say, I've got the answer and I've got the solution. And speak to it and watch Jesus do the work that only he can do. Why you say that? Because there's a new level waiting when we turn the chapter. One more to chapter 4. And I'm going quickly through 
the book of Acts really quickly to get to where I want to be at tonight. When you settle the credibility issue, you're ready for chapter 4 because in chapter 4, we witness a confidence and a courage settle upon God's call. They're now seeing the picture more clearly. Now it's not us helping Jesus as he ministers to the needs of the masses because that's what they were used to. They had walked with him. They had watched him do the work. They had been by his side as he performed miracles and he saw these things. But now he is helping us. Now we are the living embodiment of a holy God, we have that same power. They've witnessed how God had used the person of Jesus, and now they're getting it. We're supposed to be like him. While that task may seem overwhelming because he has already worked through them, they're now fearless and full of faith that he will continue. Amen. You ever had God answer a prayer for you? Amen. You just feel like, ugh, bring it on. Let's find it. So through four chapters, we've seen great growth, and God's been adding to the church daily. The apostles have preached like madmen in the face of outside opposition. God's given them victory over every opposing outside force. They've built a reputation. They've amassed a following. They've done great things. And in fact, the end of chapter 4 paints a picture of absolute bliss. Here's how chapter 4 ends. Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of, his own, aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. A spirit of unity got on that group. A spirit of togetherness got on that group. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great Grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. They got together, they started working together. A supernatural spirit of unity got on this group because they were watching God use them. Everything's proceeding like no one ever imagined. There's no lack. There's no need. There's no distrust or dishonesty. They are flowing. Cadillacking. It's good. Smooth. And we enter chapter 5 only to meet the first but. I think I've used this with you before. If you've heard it, just stay with me. It was the first but of the church. All is going well. Everything's clicking. Needs are being met. Souls are being saved. But. That's literally the first word of chapter 5. But. There's always a but. In every church, 
there's always a but in every revival. There's always a but in every move of God. But, Pastor, I don't think that's what we should do. But, Pastor, I just believe. But, Pastor, we've tried that before. But, but, but. May I submit to you tonight in all sincerity, the only thing that can stop a true church filled with his power is a bunch of buts. Take that how you want to tonight. <laughs> Two reasons why. First reason is too many buts stop the flow of God's spirit. Here's why. God hates division. He hates discord. And anything that creates division and discord, he will not bless. He's also a God of principle. And when he lays it down and says, this is what I'm going to do and what I ain't going to do, you can write it down and know it that he ain't doing it or he is doing it based on what he said. Tonight, I just simply say, be careful if you find yourselves always in opposition about the direction of the church because in that, you may be bringing division or discord with your attitude or opinion. I say that carefully tonight. And please, before you act in a manner that could bring harm or damage, maybe sit down with the pastor, the spiritual leader, the set man of the house, and find out what exactly is God speaking to him. Don't get on the gossip line. You can tell me to hush and sit down anytime you want. Don't get on the gossip line. Don't get at the dinner table rant. Here's what you do. You guard your spirit. You guard your heart so God can continue to flow through you and use you. You've been empowered. You've been anointed. God is ready to back you up and give you credibility. Don't let a butt come in. Wreck it. Second way a but can hinder is the way we see it here in chapter 5. And that is that it will steal integrity. And that's really what I came to preach on tonight. And I got a few minutes left and I'm going to get there and get out the way. The first obstacle of revival is a lack of integrity. Hear me tonight. Please, please, please hear me tonight. I've prayed this thing through for two weeks now. An obedient, empowered, credible, courageous church can only be stopped if she loses her integrity. And in this infant moment, in this initial launch, in this early stage, a lack of integrity must be dealt with for the power to continue. A lack of integrity must be identified so that the credibility of his name not compromised. Too much was paid. Too much was given. Too much is at stake for the church to be filled with men and women with no integrity. Integrity is the grounding agent of those mightily used by God. 
the grounding agent of those mightily used by God. So many mighty men of God have fallen because they lacked integrity. They saw God use them. They operated in the gifts, but they lacked integrity. And hear me, a lack of integrity will destroy you. Character and and integrity are interchangeable. They are simply this. What you are when nobody else is watching. That's nothing new. As Pastor said a couple of Sundays ago, it's what's below the waterline. Integrity is when what you say you are matches up with your actions. Because we must live through actions what we profess with our mouths. If we don't, we have no integrity. Ananias and Sapphira are the examples of what God will do when a lack of integrity threatens the advancement of his church and his purpose. They own a piece of property. It belongs to them. It is theirs to do with whatever they will please. They can keep it. They can sell it. It is theirs. Get that. Settle that point tonight. It belongs to them. There was no expectation on them to do anything but what they felt led of God to do. It belonged to them. But they have an integrity deficiency. Instead of being honest about where they are, they decide to lie. And they claim an action that is simply untrue. They profess themselves to be something that they are not. And we find the first taste of judgment hit the church. Let me tell you something about God and his judgment. This is important to understand and know. Judgment only comes to advance the church. Our God at this moment in time is not about punishment or wrath or retribution. The devil wants you to believe that. He wants you to think that God's up there sitting on his throne with a big billy club and a pistol and waiting to knock you in the head and shoot you when you make your first mistake. But that is not our God. God is not looking for retribution or vengeance tonight. If he were, this would be an empty building. And I certainly wouldn't be the one with the microphone. When Jesus stood up in Luke 4 and declared Isaiah's prophecy concerning him, he left out one important attribute of his nature. He declared that he was anointed to preach to the poor. He declared he was there to heal the brokenhearted. He declared that he was there to deliver the captives, give sight to the blind, liberate the bruised, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and then Jesus closed the book, sat down, and said he was the living fulfillment of that word. But he left out something from Isaiah's writing. Because if you go back and you read that, Isaiah also gave him the right to execute vengeance. But he was not there for that. He was there to call sinners to repentance. 
He was there to minister. He was there to bring hope. You see, God is not like us. Just close my eyes. He's not like us. He doesn't need to see his enemy suffer or be destroyed to validate or prove that he is right. He is right because of who he is. He is right if no one else is on board. He is right whether it's in acceptance or in opposition. So judgment for God is the last resort, and judgment only comes if it is the thing that will advance the kingdom. So when a lack of integrity threatens to compromise the church, he uses judgment to nudge us back on track. Why does judgment begin at the house of the Lord? Because the house of the Lord must be holy. The house of the Lord must be pure. The house of the Lord must be credible. People without integrity become, as Ananias and Sapphira, dead weight to an advancing church. They weigh it down. They hinder it. They compromise it. They restrict its effectiveness. Remember Achan? Remember that story from the Old Testament? I won't go into all of that tonight because time is leaving us. But Achan's sin stopped the whole host of God's children from advancing into their promise and judgment was issued to advance the church. Not necessarily to punish Achan, but to advance the church. It's a similar situation here. The church is moving into the fulfillment of its call fulfilling the mission, and sin shows up. It's dead weight. It had to be removed, and God judged them, and they paid with their lives. I hear you. I said it too. Sounds pretty rough. Sounds pretty harsh. But watch what happens next. Acts 5, 12 through 16, what I read to you tonight. Miracles, signs, wonders, all of these things started happening after we dealt with the integrity issue. And God started adding to the church multitudes of men and women. We just sat tonight in a leadership meeting a few moments ago. And pastor said, through these programs and some of the things we've got going, I can see this church full of people walking in with needs, hurting, looking for something, looking for what I've talked to you about tonight. A group of people that have experienced his power. A group of people that have proven him and a group of people that aren't afraid of what they may bring but say come on in with your issue come on in with your situation come on in with your addiction and your bondage and your trouble because we have a God that when we call upon his name he's going to back us up and he's going to move for you and destroy that yoke that you walked in here carrying that's what's ahead for this group of people, but we've got to settle the integrity issue and watch revival continue to flow and harvest continue to flow. Do you believe that tonight? And that is exactly where we are tonight. Many people never leave the fifth chapter of Acts because they fail the integrity 
test. Listen to me. Growth was never, never the pursuit of the early church. What they simply did was they practiced obedience. They practiced commitment. They had healthy relationships and faith. And through that, growth was a natural result of them just submitting to God's way and to God's plan. I'm telling you, you need to look around at the empty spaces and know that they are filling up in a few days because we're not after growth tonight. We're just simply going to do what God has called us to do and God is going to do what he always does and that's add to the church daily such as should be saved. If you believe that tonight, stand with me. Let's give him great praise and thank him for his word tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Got more notes, but that's where we need to get to tonight. Amen. I believe this thing tonight, and I say it every time I get up here, and I believe it, and I'm going to keep saying it as long as they let me come and talk to you. We are nowhere near where God wants to take us. I believe that with my whole heart tonight. Amen. I'm not just saying that because it's cliche. I'm not just saying that because it's rhetoric. I see what God is positioning and see what he is doing. And I believe it with my whole heart tonight that revival and harvest is in our very near future.